stocks, bonds, ETFs, straight out of downtown Chicago. This is Zach's Market Edge. Welcome to Zach's Market Edge, the podcast about investing in your life. I'm your host, Tracy Reinick. And this week, I'm joined by Zach's chief equity strategist, John Blank, to talk about our favorite topic that we always talk about at the end of every year. And it's basically the economy and what does the investing landscape look like for the next year? Now, when we did this show a year ago, neither of us could have been prepared for you know, what happened with the coronavirus and the pandemic and what's still going on and some of the things we're going to talk about on this episode, including huge stimulus or aid packages, whatever you want to call them, from Congress going out into the economy, um, you know, unemployment at these really high levels, but some other aspects of the economy still doing really well, the stock market rebounding and back to new all-time highs, Bitcoin back to new all-time highs, real estate red hot, all of these things going on. And then we have our, our usual question, will there be a recession in 2021? We still have to ask it, right? There might be, or maybe not. Maybe we're going to get this boom that everybody keeps talking about because of the vaccine. But John, there's a lot going on. And so I'm glad you're here to try to make sense of everything. Well, thanks, Tracy. Uh, I wanted to throw out to start this discussion the uh, the last non-farm payroll report, Tracy, where I pulled up. Okay. You, is that going to work for you? Yes, because I know from doing this podcast every year that when we talk about you know whether or not there's going to be a recession. We've always talked about how we have to look at the uh, you know BLS reports and look and see what's happening with unemployment. So right. and, and the Rubicon that we've always told people to watch out for is still the same. What level is it, Tracy? Well, it's rebounded, but now we're starting to see the turnover. Right, but just just to be very consistent over the years, what level of monthly payroll do we need to be in steady state? Um, I don't, well, we need to be positive. We need to be gaining the jobs, right? Well, there's 150 million non-civilian uh, labor force in the United States, 150 million, and it grows 1% a year. Okay. So you need to add 1.5 million jobs to just stay constant. So if you do 1.5 million divided by 12, what do you get? Um, I don't know, a little over 100. Yeah, 125, 150, <laughs> right? Yeah. So basically, we don't need to be very accurate. I don't want anybody to be very accurate. I want to be basically ballparking that in any situation where the economy's growth rate is in play, the non-farm payroll number that, that we need to see that's, quote, zero is actually 125 to 150. Okay. Right? I mean, because yeah, that's just people added to the labor force, right? Yeah. So when we talk about these numbers I'm going to throw up, you know, we know they're decelerating. You already talked about that, but we got to talk about it in terms of that number, right? Yeah. 125 to 150. So, having said that and laid that out, um, total non farm payroll in November was plus 245. Total non farm payroll in October was 610. And total non-payroll payroll in September was 711. 
Now, the other thing that's interesting here to me as an economist is the household unemployment rate, which is a lagging indicator. It's not a contemporaneous indicator. The payroll numbers are immediate and contemporaneous with the assisted which you're in, but the household unemployment rate is not at 6.7%. Now, what's interesting about that number, 6.7%, is what was the low of a year ago? Gosh. It was under four <laughs> right. for the low. Three and a half, right? Yes. So take 6.7 and subtract three and a half. Okay. That's basically 3.2. If you look at the year-to-year -year decline in, in GDP, it's basically the same. And if you look at, you know, the state and local, the declines in, you know, the amount of spending they've lost, it's kind of around there. So, again, if you think about where we are, 6.7%, again, zero is probably three and a half. That's frictional unemployment. So we lost, or, you know, we added 3.2% to, you know, the unemployment rate, as we know, is called the U6. But... Um, and this will get another interesting thing, because 3.2% of the households, um, see, it's household unemployment rates, not the civilian unemployment rate. So that can be, you know, you got 300 million people, you get your 3%, you got 12 to 15 million people drifting around out there that, that have been added to this whole story. Right. right. Now, you take all that in play, you say, number one, we're certainly not in a recession. We're still growing because we did plus 245 in November. Right. It's way decelerated from October and September. 6.7% is actually not as bad as you might have thought at this time. And most of my economic analysis over the last month has showed surprises to that level. But the 245 versus the 6 and 700 shows us those surprises are going to decelerate dramatically from here. Yeah. So 6.7% is probably a good, you know, stable lower bound for where we're going to be for probably till the middle of next year within a half a point, right? Okay. Yeah. Because basically you get 245 when you need 150, you're doing plus 100 basically. And that on a 150 million is, you know, a tenth of a percent or less, right? Yeah. So you can just do the math yourself. The deceleration is underway. It's going to leave us at a kind of a steady state between 6.7 and 6.2 over the next half a year. And, um, and what's interesting now we can get into is the recent 900 billion of stimulus. Yeah, let's get into that. Yeah, let's get into that. But that's the background, Tracy, is that for, for the most part, don't change the story on the economy and recession. Keep in mind that 150 or 125 on a monthly payroll number is, quote, unquote, you know, the steady state or zero. And that will give you the benchmark to, you know, how much growth, you know, and how much delivery we have. And basically realize... The unemployment rate is doing a decent job of giving us a measure of the loss of overall GDP. Yeah. Um, one question on that, though. We have talked in the past about seeing two consecutive months 
of a in the red right the job creation and a lot of people are talking that december we could be in the red here for december and then who knows what's going to happen in january um how does that factor in because that would seem to be sending up a red flag you know about a recession yes absolutely and that's the thing it's again we're looking for two consecutive revised payroll numbers right uh, yeah the, que the question that you always pull the employment situation up where you go way to the bottom all the way to the bottom to the revised numbers which is the very last thing they give because you don't want to be in front of this you don't wanna, you don't want to be a genius about it you just want to see if actual signals are telling you that the thing is rolled over right right so we get two consecutive revised payroll numbers no different now than before um, we're back in recession or we got to worry about it okay all right that's, well, I mean, that's the first point is we're not throwing the model out um now obviously did we get it the slowdown right yes did we get the recession right this year no um but we weren't we weren't pie in the sky on the way in right 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 and that's the point here is what we're at now is kind of a, a good reflection of a COVID economy without a lot of shutdowns. And this is probably going to get worse for a couple months at least. Yeah. But yeah. the market will look through that. So the vaccines are going to continue to roll out. And, and the shutdowns are really holiday driven. And once the COVID case rates fall, which they already have in Europe, then they'll be relaxed. Right. They're already falling here in Illinois and in Michigan. Looks like right. for, for right now. We this, you know, volleyball got canceled. The pool is shut. There's right. no outdoor dining. It's going to fall here. Yeah. Yeah. So I think the other point to make with people is do not spend a lot of time being a genius here. It's okay. a very dynamic situation and the markets are forward looking all the way to next fall, really, next next winter. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So if the market's pricing next fall and next winter, don't get carried away with, oh my God, you know, there's a recession all signal in January. Of course there's going to be. Right. And the market will go up. Yeah. <laughs> That's some good advice, though, because people, right. a lot of investors do focus on the near term story instead of the longer term. The, the yeah, I mean, This is a big, big problem with cable networks because you've got 24 seven news coverage and um, you want to gen, gen up interest. And, and then they got the guy with bated breath in front of the BLS in Washington when the number comes out. And that's the unrevised number that you do not want to hear. Right, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> so economics is the subject of you know comparisons and as as we go through it you're trying to there's too much data and there's too little just dialogue about what does this mean and why do i care yeah okay so let's talk about that aid package yeah and what what is in it how is this going to help the economy will it help the economy or will it overheat it? A lot of people are fearful that this is just too much money that's going to be out there floating around. Okay, first off, Tracy, how big is the U.S. economy in trillion dollars? Gosh, I don't know. 20.5 trillion. Okay. 20.5 trillion, right? 
So if, if the stimulus package is 900 billion, what does that represent? A very small percentage. Well, basically about four and a half percent. Yeah. Right? So it's actually a major upside provision of four and a half percent of GDP. And, and what did we just go through in terms of the deficit? Um, three and a half almost. Right. Yeah. So mild, it's a mild stimulus to get above the, the previous level of the high in the economy. So this is actually brilliant macroeconomic thinking. Um, what you want to do is push the stimulus beyond that previous high, right? Yeah. That creates the inflation, that creates the jobs, the pressure, all the things you want to see, right? Right. So number one, um, this is a better thought stimulus provision than most people understand because they're not trying to understand it. <laughs> right. right. They're trying to score political points. And I think that's a big mistake. Um, as I discussed with you before this show, and I'm going to do it now. Um, there has been a hero in this administration, in my opinion, someone who stepped up to the job and really has been a centrist. And that's the secretary, Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin. Yeah, I agree. Right. And so in the provisions we're about to talk about, you're going to see a lot of granularity, a lot of thought, a lot of detail. And frankly, some pretty good insights, like I just provided you that, wow, that's exactly where you should have been if you had well-structured analysts and economists working for you at the Treasury Secretary level. And by the way, that's, I think, what happened. Right. So let's give the guy credit. He came out of, you know, the model for this last 2016 election was to bring in new people. And if one person really rose to the challenge and did it well, Steve Mnuchin did. Agreed. Yeah. And you can see a lot of it in this package. Right. And so let's get on to this package. Okay. So the main thing that a lot of people are, are you know, have been hearing in the news is that $600 direct payment. Right. Okay. So, yeah, direct stimulus payment to $600 to individuals. This is interesting. Let's get into the details of this. Eligible families, quote, families, all right, would be receiving an additional $600 per child. Yeah. A family of four gets $1,800, right? Yep. Even more, right? Well, if the family would get $600, yeah, $600 for the individuals, yeah, two, no, they're $2,400. $2,400, yeah. Yeah, $2,400. The payments start phasing out. When your adjusted gross income become is not more than seventy five thousand, and and the income thresholds will be doubled for couples, so basically one fifty. Yeah. Right. So basically, if you make over one hundred fifty thousand as a couple, you've got nothing for it to show for yourself. Um, right. And you're gonna, but if you have a family, you're going to get, you know, a couple grand, and it's going to be direct deposit to you. Right. And the thing about that. And I said this when they did the 1200 earlier in the year, is that a 2400 that could be your tax refund. That's huge. That's yeah, huge it's, it's, it's an, I, see, this is a part of the package where it clearly is a addressing, pushing the macroeconomic 
absolute value above that twenty point five trillion by getting people to spend on driving consumption. Right. It uh, also has since you can save or spend it though. It also has some financial stability elements because some people will be able to string out a mortgage or you know a car payment or just pay off credit card debt or like you said tax refunds. So it's giving a financial stress reduction. If it goes to savings, it does create less stress. And that's another thing that's happening. If you want to get shutdowns to work and not panic people, you're you're creating, you know, less stress. Yeah. Okay. I feel like this will put a backstop, even though it's not as big as the 1200 we saw earlier in the year, but it will provide support for, as you said, the consumption side of the economy. Right. And it will also, I mean, if you don't spend it and you save it because you don't need it, that's okay, right? That's going to be, if we're in a scenario where we don't know really how it plays out, whether other waves of the virus come in or there's kind of the delays on the, you know, what vaccine or even another story altogether, um, it at least puts people in a better position to deal with it. A lot, you got to remember, for the person who's on an hourly, you're making $15 an hour. And you, you know, you're making 600 bucks a week, right? Right. So what this is, is, I mean, let's just do that. If you're 15 an hour, is it 40? That's 600 bucks a week. So basically this gives most of the hourly people out there a solid one week, you know, uh, in the bank thing, right? So you yep. can, can look for another job. You're, you can pay off, you know, certain installment bills and things like that. And that, that should be understood that the $600 is tied to that 15 times 40 thing. Yeah. No, it's going to be a big deal. Yeah, okay. hourly people is a big deal. Hourly people, this is a really big deal. They don't have any savings. They, they get twisted out, and then, then we get a homeless problem. They get eviction problem. There's some, there's you know, some retailers, John, who are paying – you know, $250 bonuses for working through the holiday season and through the pandemic, basically. And I have nothing against them paying 250 bucks out. That's, you know, that's great. They're, they're giving their employees bonus, but that's $250. This is going to be 600. Right. So it is a big deal. It's a solid week, right? It's yeah. a solid week for most people. Okay, so moving on, let's talk about the extending of the unemployment benefits, those emergency ones. This is a big deal, too, because this extends for those people who are like in the gig economy and that kind of thing where they might not have otherwise even qualified for unemployment. And it's going to be $300 um, in extra benefits for 11 weeks. Right. So if you do the math there from the end of December of through basically March the 14th. And I've read online that the way the language works is actually to April the 5th. It's kind of more like 15 weeks. Okay. Because they kind of worded it differently this time. So basically through early spring, they funded this thing. Yes. And that's a fair, again, that's a fair signpost. Some people say it should have been June because vaccines will roll out all the way to June. But the point is, if you want to just give yourself a wait and see you know, kind of step function of policy. And this is really not stimulus so much as just, you know, funding the amelioration of the COVID event. Um, that's a fair way to do it because you don't overextend yourself. You can get positive surprises. And if you, 
if you get a negative surprise and really needed this next, you know, April stimulus package, if there comes to be one, you might want to put it out again another 12 to 15 weeks. And so you can see the, the thinking here is you kind of step through three to four months of time, right? Yeah. Yeah. And again, I mean, we've got a lot of social media chatter out there, but that's a very sensible, pragmatic way to do this. Right. And so the, the other thing to point out here is that, and I'm just reading this so people understand at the thorough, how thorough this is in terms of language I'm using. The Pandemic Unemployment Assistance Program ex expands, jobless expands jobless benefits to gig workers, freelancers, independent contractors, and self-employed and certain people affected by the coronavirus. Right. So that is a lot of people on the edge and not in the unemployment rate, right? That's right. I like that. Yeah, that's key. It's key, right? So again, um, call it what it is. Someone thought this through and had a lot of dialogue about this. Yeah. Now, and what's not if you go through those two things we talked about, Tracy, the, the household payments and the pandemic unemployment benefits, that takes us to $265 billion of the $900 billion. Right. That's still to only less than a third. Yeah. That's interesting, right? It is. So and that goes into these other things. Right. A lot of talk about the other, the other parts of it. Right. Small business loans is actually a bigger chunk. $300 billion for small business loans. The Paycheck Protection Program, as they call it, PPP. Yeah. Yeah. So let's get into what that requirements are. So the second loans are limited to those with fewer than 300 employees that have seen drops of at least 25% of their revenue during the first, second, or third quarter of 2020. We're in the fourth quarter of 2020. Right. It would also reduce the amount of borrower can see from 10 to 2 million and give them more flexibility how to spend it. So the point is they're using this for people who really got hammered. I mean, 25% or more of revenue in the first three quarters of this year. By the way, that's kind of interesting is you threw the first in with the second and third, right? <laughs> so the first wasn't that bad, right? Right. So this is really saying, because you're going to wait in the first with the second and the third, this is the real hammered folks under 300 point employees, really got the people who really got hammered, the restaurants, the theater Anything. venues, right? Yeah. Anything. The branches, you know, this type of stuff. Yeah. So do we like this? Well, yeah, everybody wants the small businesses to get support. Yeah, the basic problem we have is the Fed, Emergency Lending Act helped, you know, very large, stable corporate businesses and nobody and you, in my, any place in California I've been, it's these small groups that are getting hammered. Just to show you where the largest Federal Reserve purchases of outstanding corporate bonds went, Tracy, I'll give you some names. Just to show how absurd this is. They bought 23 million of Volkswagen, 23 million of of Apple, BMW, Anheuser-Busch, BP Capital Markets, Comcast, Bayer, GlaxoSmithKline, DuPont, Comcast, Roach, Gilead, Broadcom, VMware. So yeah. Tracy, you know, under 300 employees and these guys, they don't even, there's no intersection whatsoever. Right, right. 
And this has got to be fixed. I don't care what anybody says. Um, the bulk of the stress and the unemployment are in these sub 300 employee firms. That's right. It's kind of metric that I think is responsible to say, not only do you have to be small, but you had to have gotten hammered, right? Yeah. Now, what's interesting, part of this creates a grants for theaters and other live venues, right? $15 billion for live venues, theaters, and museum operators that have lost at least 25% of their revenues. That grant can be up to $10 million per business. And a second grant can amount to half of that may also be available, so another $5 million. The point is, like, for example, in Santa Barbara, you've got, you know, the Granada Theater, the Libero Theater, the Symphonies, and all this stuff. These yeah. folks get hammered. Yeah. So you pay them, Right. The right. Civic Opera House in Chicago, you pay those people. Right. And it's, is it a lot of money? No, but it's it's going to help get, you know, people on payroll paid, and they're going to keep the rent paid and the utilities paid. That's right. So the basic point here is you don't want to blow up infrastructure and relationships in because when this thing's over in the second half of the year, this will be money well spent. Yeah. Right. So again, you say, is this smart? Yeah. Yeah. You you have to provide support for these businesses to be shut down because it's yeah. not fault. This is a government mandated shutdown. Right. And it's COVID related. And that's why the, the use of the language stimulus um, is is the stimulus is above that twenty four five billion. A very little of this will get us to stimulus. Right. This is right. just. Right. 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 Yes. 4.5% number and the 3.2% number. So basically one in you know, one, you know, 250 billion of the 9 billion 100 billion is probably stimulus. The other stuff is just replacement money. Right. 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 So basically don't use the word stimulus, you know, so aggressively, right? That's there is a modest element of stimulus here. It's probably 2 to 300 billion. That's why everybody who's worried and, you know, complaining about inflation and all of that is just wrong. We yeah, can't get inflation wrong. yet. Not yet. Yeah, that's but that's another key point here is if you think about what's going on from the Federal Reserve perspective has oodles of printing money abilities. They're, they function, the Central Bank of the United States function under the statute, what's called a statutory mandate. They're, they're, they have to do this, right, which is. They have to manage the economy for unemployment and for a, a level expected consumer price inflation that's usually around 2%, right? Right. So the point that's interesting about a COVID environment is, and this is for stock investors to understand, is there's no way we're going to get a 2% inflation rate out of the next year or two. And we're not going to see the unemployment rate cause any statutory stress on the Fed whatsoever, right? Right. right. So what what the, what this means is we have already seen this in the Fed minutes and the Fed, you know, objectives and out for, forecasts is that you can bid up stocks because money's free and it's, rates are going to be zero for a while. Yeah. And they aren't going to get in a dilemma where they're bumping up against that statutory mandate. The weird thing about this whole situation is since the actual economy went to pieces, <laughs> the actual markets are sort of certainly going to be funded through the money printing. Yeah. 
So don't get bearish too much about this. Um, however, the question you have to ask as an investor is, when do the markets take their profits and see the end of this stuff? Right. That's the, the tricky question. It's right. a tricky question. Yeah. Because the markets will roll over before all this stuff ends. That's right. And you and I know, I mean, I think you're a genius, but I don't know if I'm a genius, so I don't think I can call it, Tracy. I can't call it. <laughs> Anyone else who says they can, as we know, even from, you know, 1998, 99, those years, you can think it's going crazy for, you know, a lot longer than you know your bet can stay good so you could have been in 1998 looking at the stock market saying you know this can't continue the nasdaq was up 35 percent i believe that year 39 percent in 1998 everything was super hot you could have called like oh this is near the top and then you would have missed out on all of 1999 when the nasdaq you know did another 80 percent plus yeah. So I don't think anyone can really know and time it that well. No. Um, and this is a key point. I mean, this let's point out to people if someone told you, I mean, I was stayed bullish pretty much all year. I lowered my year on target barely. But I don't think there was a single Wall Street economist or me, frankly who would think that the S&P 500 was going to be 3,700 on the way out of 2020. No. Mm -mm. That's at least 300 points more than I had. Yeah. So where do we get this extra 10%? Why does it happen? Um, I didn't bet on the Fed back in January being at zero rates till the end of 2022. <laughs> right. Right? Yeah. And so I just didn't. And they say, well, John, why didn't you bet on the Fed? putting rates at zero for two and a half years, because that would have been an absurd low call, low low probability call on me to put the best base case, right? Yeah. So again, I'm not a lunatic or a stupid guy or out of touch. I would have just had to have bet on a very low probability case as a base, base case. Yeah. So the point going forward is, you know, like you said, I mean, the idea that we have a view of the market and a view of the economy in this situation that none of us have been in is probably less important than we understand, you know, the various risks of how this thing can fall apart. Okay. What, what are those? How could it fall apart? Yeah. Well, this is interesting, Tracy. I pulled this thing out of Deutsche Bank research and they, they went through when they did a survey of what these are. So I'll go through the very top ones. Okay. Virus mutation dodges vaccines. Serious vaccine side effects that start to emerge. Enough people refuse to take vaccines, thus hampering back to normal drives. Tech bubble bursts, causing fallout from across global markets given their size. Central banks and governments pull back stimulus too early. Runaway money supply growth causes inflation earlier than anyone expects. And the final one is Democrat wins two Senate seats and we see a big rise in yields. Okay. So basically around all of this, the top things are just the vaccine and virus story ends up in a place nobody's planning on. Right. 
Yeah. You can see why that uncertainty is very perplexing because you and I are talking about an mRNA, a set of mRNA and other types of vaccines rolling out into a a virus none of us ever seen and getting the story right. Right. And that's absurd to expect you and I to understand that. But what's not absurd to expect is that we talk about these risks and realize these are real risks, right? Right. I mean, the top one you have, the virus mutates and dodges vaccines. Well, we already have virus mutates. Right. <laughs> That's already happening in the UK. Right. And so far, thankfully, the scientists are saying it's not dodging the vaccine, but that's right. just so far. Right. That's just so far with this yeah. mutation, right? Yeah. So then, this is a key point. You can get, you know, oh, God, there's a mutation happening, but that's not what this says. Is this vaccine mutates and dodges the vaccine, right? So again, a lot of quick reporting, news reporting, and people jumping to conclusions, you can get the story wrong, right? And this is the point is that you got to be aware of how the market will think about these risks and then begin to realize that those are the risks that could drive the price of stocks down dramatically, right? Yeah. Imagine what happens, the vaccine thing we all think is going to end by the next summer just blows up. This whole thing gets put out another entire year. Yeah. Oh, man. Social stress. Right. Deaths in the hundreds of thousands. Right. But Um, if we did see a big pullback there, wouldn't that be a buying opportunity? Well, see, if that was the end, if the end wasn't the end, and that was really the end, right? Yeah. See, the problem here is, is when is this over? And this is a, you know, this is a nebulous, many-sided question. And um, I think anybody just has to stay appraised of, you know, basically those payroll numbers and realize that the economy will reflect most everything for you and that's got to be your baseline for understanding this as you don't have to get any further into it than that okay and then the other point we always try to make and i think we still have to make is you do not have to be this genius you just have to get to revise numbers and be somewhat backward looking at this whole thing yeah right yeah different uncertainties but same point don't you know we're not making a market timing call we're just saying for asset allocations it should be in stocks perspective just be a little slow on the trigger on this thing. Okay, so where does that leave us for some stock recommendations heading into the new year then? I mean, we're we're ending the year basically at record highs. We've seen huge surge in some of the stocks. Yeah. Up, um, you know, some of the things haven't been doing much for about three months now, but Amazon still year to date up 72.6%. Its PE is still high, but it's always been high. It's still at 92. Um, and some of the others, you know, NVIDIA up 125 or 130% now year to date still. And so do I look to get into the fangs here? Or is it these other areas that everybody's been talking about that haven't, you know, seen big gains this year, like the banks, the energy, maybe even some gold? I took a look at some of those and, you know, a lot of those, um, well, the banks and energy are up big in the last three months because on this vaccine hope and the recovery play. 
but both of those areas are still down year to date. So is that, do I want to go into those areas? I've also taken a look at, you know, the travel stocks, everybody's been diving into that, but if it doesn't go according to plan, like some of these big risks that you just laid out about the vaccine, I don't think I want to be owning Hilton or Marriott in that case. If by next summer, we were not all traveling again for whatever reason. So what do you think? What's your thought? I don't know. I've been looking at some of the regional banks because that has been a favorite area of mine. And one of them in particular um, is called West Banco. It's ticker WSBC. Right now it's a Zach's number three. Uh, it is paying, it's always paid a dividend and I think it's still paying it here of 4.4%. So it's not bad, but it's in West Virginia and it's in several states. It's expanded out past just West Virginia, but it's headquartered there. And I like it because it is in these this area that is, um, you know, could see a decent recovery here and they don't take a lot of risks in their loan portfolio. So over the last three months, the stock has surged up 36%, but it's still down 24% on the year. It's one of the smaller of the regional type banks. They only have a 2 billion market cap, so not many people know about it. But I kind of like some of the regional banks like that one. And I always keep an eye on Comerica, which is big down there in Texas, but they do have exposure to energy. And so far we haven't seen any real big blowups in the last couple of months, at least on the energy side, but um, that's always could be lurking out there if the recovery doesn't go according to plan. That is ticker CMA. And over the last three months, that one is up 40%, but it's still down 24% year to date. They do pay the dividend too, 5.2% yield there. And then I, I always talk about the the big EMPs on the energy side, I feel like that's who you need to go with. So Pioneer is just the one that has the best balance sheet. And that ticker is PXD. Uh, they do pay the dividend, which I think they never stopped paying. It is on the smaller side, it's 2%. But over the last three months, these shares up 20%, but year to date still down 27. Um, so you have a couple, you know, there's a couple others in energy you could go with. And then I looked at some gold names and that's an area that's actually down over the last three months because gold prices have come down off those all-time highs around $2,000 an ounce there. And uh, some of these are down. So Barrick is uh, one of the ones that's owned by Warren Buffett. He bought it this year. I think is when he added um, small position, but uh, unusual to see Buffett's, you know, Berkshire Hathaway adding any kind of gold. So it probably wasn't him, but that's okay. Uh, ticker G-O-L-D. So that's easy to remember on Barrick. And that one's down 20.5% over the last three months. And um, even though it's still up year to date by 20%, it's um, a Zach's number four right now though, which is the sell but that could just could be because some of the estimates are being a little adjusted there with that gold price coming down a little bit. But what do you think about gold going into 2021? I think it's worthless. I think it's overpriced and the rod okay. took itself too far. I mean, my view of the market is there may not be any rotation whatsoever. We may just stall out for a while. 
as people take profits. Okay, because we've seen the stalling, like I said, in some of the big thing names. They haven't really done anything. Yeah, that's where I'm, I'm at. You know, I think Apple, I, I sent you the chart on Apple. They stalled out somewhere in yeah. the mid-summer, late summer. So, yeah, yeah. Apple's probably a good example where you just kind of stall out and you drift around for six, eight, ten months. I mean, that, that makes more sense in the, in the scenario we laid out, right? Yeah. Everybody just basically bought up the whole thing, and now we ride out for six, eight, ten months till we get to some beyond all this stuff, or not. What do you think about the small caps? They had that, you know, historic rise in November, the best month ever for the small caps. Why would they, small caps keep rallying, Tracy? Why would they? Um, because you know you've got um, a lot of opening. In the back end, because the small business get crushed, a lot of the small businesses that succeed will get rally. And I also think that those stalled for the last two to three years. So they broke their high. They already have done their stalling. Right. Okay. So that could be an area that investors should really be looking in. Yeah, I would think. I would think you'd want to get into small caps on an index basis and play that game. Okay. Well, that's that's encouraging. Now, I am staying away from anything like the cruise ships, any of that. I feel like it's all way too just risky, and that's for traders, not really investors. I think that's a fair statement. I mean, the problem you got with this is, like we talked about those risks, is, you know, we just see this in California one day, you know, two months ago, things were pretty normal, and we were pretty much back to play, and now everything's shut down again. Yeah. So, you know, everywhere in the world this happens. So, um, you know, go ahead and be the genius, you know, figure out how the coronavirus and the vaccine story plays out. But don't, don't even bother. So, yeah, you're right. It's going to trade up and down, and then it's going to have a huge rally when someone gets the call right, right? Yeah. And, again, the point will be when the highs, the range-traded highs are broken definitively to the upside on one of these areas, that's telling you the smart money really thinks it's got it right. Okay. What do you think can happen, right? Yeah. What do you think about the housing trade? That's been pretty hot, but has also cooled off in recent months. Is that done? Are we all have we all bought what we're going to buy and it's over? Or should I still be looking at some of those housing stocks? I would think that that's going to just go sideways too. It's not going to be going down, but it's just we're not going any higher. Okay. Right. And, I, you know, that, that would be my main message in all this stuff is that you got to kind of, you know, walk back the, oh, this is all going to blow up and and see that there's some areas that will continue to rise that were already consolidated. And then in some areas that will break their ranges eventually. And some stuff will just, you know, stall in, in a terminal pattern for a long time. Right. And then, then you get a third category like the Tesla stock. As far as I'm concerned, that could completely blow up. Right. And so that's where you get into those tech blow up. And the real big thing that can happen here is we get a tech blow up because someone finally gets Tesla shares to blow up and then then everybody panics. Yeah. And by the way, I don't own Tesla shares and I don't think this is a good run and I think it's insane. Okay. I don't own it either. Yeah. So, and yeah, you got it right on the way up, but as far as I'm concerned, take your money off the table and buy a house in Malibu. Well, there is that guy in the Bloomberg story who is now a millionaire. Yeah. Yeah. 
And so, but he has not sold because this is the problem. We're going to have to do a podcast on that in a couple months, I feel, on on when to sell because it it is very difficult if you get one of these really big winners like that one is, the game changer type of lottery stock winners. Um, We saw it in the 90s. There were a lot of Microsoft and Dell millionaires, not even the people who worked at those companies. They were millionaires too from stock options, but- a lot of regular investors, you know, guessed right at the start of that decade and held on all the way to the end and then kept holding on because how could you not, right? So that's that's a key thing, too, is to know when to sell. Yeah. Or know, know when to fold them, as the song says. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is the thing. I think, you know, if you won, if you won big on Tesla, I'd be selling out a lot of my position already. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, we're going to have to do a show on on just that. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, so let me uh, go over some of the tickers again that I mentioned here on the show, and we'll see how everything is turning out in a couple months, um, because we will have John on to do some more updates. Hopefully, we have some good news in a couple months and some of these risks that Deutsche Bank is laying out don't happen. And, uh, you know, we see those brighter days ahead with the the pandemic and the global economy and everything. So let me recap those tickers again. We had West Banco, WSBC is the ticker there. If you want to check out some of the smaller regional banks, Comerica, CMA, that's also a regional bank, but bigger. And they're in Texas as well as Michigan. Pioneer Natural Resources, one of the best balance sheets of the explorers on the energy side, PXD. We talked about Amazon and how much that has been up year to date. AMZN, of course, Apple, AAPL, NVIDIA, NVDA. And then we talked about Barrick as one of the gold plays. That is ticker G-O-L-D. And as always, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode of The Market Edge because who knows what's going to happen in 2021, but there's going to be a lot of things to talk about. So you want to make sure you get us every week. You can subscribe on Spotify and Apple Podcasts as well as SoundCloud. And if you're on SoundCloud, you'll also get the Value Investor Podcast as well as The Market Edge. So you'll get two podcasts for one subscription. But Either way, make sure you get us somewhere and I'll see you again in the new year in 2021 with some more investing ideas and stocks. Be sure to tune in. This material is being provided for informational purposes only and nothing herein constitutes investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice or a recommendation to buy, sell, or hold a security. Do not act or rely upon the information and advice given in this podcast without seeking the services of competent and professional legal, tax, or accounting counsel. Publication and distribution of this podcast is not intended to create and the information contained herein does not constitute an attorney-client relationship. No recommendation or advice is being given as to whether any investment or strategy is suitable for a particular investor. It should not be assumed that any investments in securities, companies, sectors, or markets identified described were or will be profitable. All information is current as of the date herein and is subject to change without notice. Any views or opinions expressed may not reflect those of Zach's investment research as a whole.